0: Swing. There's a shot. High drive. Out of here. This laser beam of a home run for Brandon Crawford. First home run of the year for the Giants, and it's Joey Bart. Is. is. Strikes out swinging. Swinging as he struck him out. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Inside giant moments. And late night, Lamont strikes, strikes again. It it. Belt was all over it. The captain. Great call, Berger. With Adam Copeland.
1: Welcome back into the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. Got a fun podcast for you today. Actually going to talk to one of the Giants coaches today, somebody you may not have heard from in the past, Harvey Martin who's the Giants' uh, human performance specialist, or he is a human performance specialist, but his focus with the Giants is on breathing, how the Giants are using breathing and their breath coach, Harvey Martin, to get more in touch with their bodies, to understand high tense situations, especially for pitchers on the mound, and how to get the most out of their breathing and the direct impact that has on mental and physical health For the organization, something that's been going on now around sports for a few years. Harvey himself is a uh, a former minor league baseball player pitched in the Milwaukee Brewers organization. So a little bit later, we'll talk to him. A really fun and interesting conversation with Harvey Martin is coming right up. But before we do that, we got to talk about Giants baseball from this week. What a week it's been. Saw a note earlier this week. The Giants are the only team in baseball, at least to this point, and it's the only time they've done this in franchise history before June, they've had at least five streaks, losing or winning, of at least 5 games apiece. Now we know earlier this week the Giants had a 5 game losing streak going following a sweep by the San Diego Padres. One of their rivals in the division who sits ahead of them in the National League West standings in 2nd place there right behind the Dodgers. The Giants of course beat up on the Padres earlier this year and brought some tension to the table with a little bit of the unwritten rule conversation. All that aside though they went out and they lost game 1 to the New York Mets on Monday night but on Tuesday they broke the 5 game losing streak in one of the most incredible games you've ever seen at Oracle I was out there on Tuesday night with a couple of buddies from the radio station, and we were hanging, having a good time, sort of a holo-hum game, 8-2 to two, uh, into the uh, the 7th inning. Then the, uh, the Mets make it a little interesting. They get a couple more, they make it 8-4, to four, and then here we go, into what became one of the most stressful innings for Giants baseball. Uh, remember the uh, the old torture mantra we used to live by? Kind of went by that into the 8th inning on Tuesday night. The Mets end up putting up 7 runs in the top of the 8th inning, and no errors or anything. The first 4 hitters that came to the plate against Tyler Rodgers got singles. Then you had uh, Dom Smith drove in a couple of runs with a double made it a uh, an interesting game uh, obviously the Giants end up going down 11 to 8 very very stressful if you were sitting out at the ballpark and props to the Giants fans who hung around because I know it's a it's a weeknight the game gets late it's dragging on a little bit seems like things are going awry for the Giants it was a pretty darn good crowd that stuck around to watch the Giants pull off one of the more improbable comebacks one of the more improbable games and impossible games we've seen at Oracle Park so Giants end up coming up. Bottom of the eighth inning. They end up uh, nobody on base. Two outs. Jock Peterson, by the way, already had two home runs in the game. Jock Peterson steps to the plate with runners on first and runners on second. And we all know what happened.
0: Yaz at second. Rough at first. Two down. The pitch on the way. Swing and- there's a long drive to right. It's headed for the bay. A three-run homer. The third of the night for jock peterson that one is wet and this game is tied we may not have seen one quite like that since barry bonds used to cavort here at 24 willie mays plaza off into the night and into the deep wow it is 11
1: to 11 and this crowd is delirious what a moment for Jock Peterson, who went on to say after the game that he'd actually had a conversation with Barry Bonds before the game, and it helped him clear his mind, kind of get focused. I, I thought that was incredible. I mean, if, if I knew talking to Barry Bonds was gonna make you hit three home runs, including a three run come from behind game tire in the bottom of the eighth inning. Uh I think I think every guy would be talking to Barry Bonds, but uh he's been fantastic, Jock Peterson, in his first year in San Francisco. A, a extremely memorable moment and part of what was a huge come from behind win. And not only did they need they the win. They needed the win to snap the streak. They sent Logan Webb to the hill, and he pitched pretty well in that game on Tuesday. And that's what you look for from a young ace, right? That's what you look for, uh, what we used to look for from guys like Jason Schmidt, or even more recently, Madison Bumgarner, Tim Lincecum. Last year, it was Kevin Gosman. If things are going out of whack for a team, you want to know that you have a starter every fifth day who can step in there and make an immediate impact and shut a game down. And ultimately, that's what they look for from Logan Webb. They got that outing, but then it was the bats that had to pick up the pitching and the defensive have. Struggled a little bit lately. The metrics would tell you the Giants are not all that bad of a defensive team. However, uh, they do have a couple of pitchers who have been some of the most unlucky in baseball. We saw what happened to Alex Cobb on Monday. is almost out of the game, and then he gives up a double. To, uh, to Frankie Lindor of the New York Mets, a stud shortstop for the Mets, who's having a really, really nice start to his season after a down year uh, in 2021, which was his first year out in New York, out in Queens with the Mets. He gives up a double that would have landed 1% of the time, the expected batting average on Monday on that double from Lindor was a 1% chance of being a base hit, a .010 expected batting average on that knock that sent uh, Darren Ruff flying into the front row, maybe the second row of the stands. Thank goodness for the netting up that uh, that, that left field line now and all the way up the right field line too. Anyway. I saw the expected ERA. If if Alex Cobb had been getting the outs that hits and contact that he allows to opposing hitters were fielded and fielded cleanly and outs were made on those, his expected ERA should be 1.75. Instead, he's up over 6 right now, so just goes to show you some of the bad luck that's going on around the game uh, and around this Giants pitching staff. It's also happened to Logan Webb a little bit, and Alex Wood is another one of those guys where he allows soft contact. Guys put the ball in play against him, but if you don't make plays behind him, the pitching and defense, you need the defense. Uh, it can lead to, a, to some extra runs and Alex Cobb we saw that on Monday gives up that base hit he's almost out of the inning in the next pitch to Pete Alonso, a three-run home run not the case for the Giants on Tuesday as Jock Peterson helps bring them back then they go into the ninth inning they allow yet another run in the top half of the ninth so then here comes the bottom they lead off with a base hit from Wilmer Flores and then they hit into a double play kind of stressful there you're going oh boy this may be where the comeback falls short But not so fast. Here comes Mike Yastrzemski, who's been red hot as of late. Actually, on an eight-game hitting streak, hitting over 400 in that span following Wednesday's game. Anyway, here comes Mike Yastrzemski, draws a walk. So now you've got the tying run on base. Then here comes Darren Ruff. Darren Ruff gets a base knock into right field that advances Mike Yastrzemski to second. So now you've got runners on first and second, two outs, down by one, and all anybody wanted, Gabe Kapler said this after the game, was to get Jock Peterson up to the plate yet again. How cool would it have been to see Jock Peterson hit a fourth home run, including a walk-off home run in this ball game? Of course, that's the record in Major League Baseball. Only a handful of players have done so, including our very own Willie Mays. But Jock Peterson had an opportunity to do something not even Barry Bonds did. Now, he didn't hit a home run into the Cove like he did in the eighth inning to tie the game at 11 apiece. What he did do was get a rocket line drive into left center field that. Scored for Mike Yastrzemski to tie the ball game. And now, with two outs, two down, the game-winning run on second base, here comes Brandon Crawford, and we all know how this thing played out.
0: Darren Ruff, the possible winning run at second. The pitch, Crawford hits a ground ball into the left field! Base hit, can he make it? Cannon charges. Here comes the throw, here's the slide, he is free! Ruff scores! The ball game is over! Incredibly, the Giants come back and they come
1: back again, and now they have won it. Boy, what a game. Probably the craziest game I've ever seen at Oracle Park. I mean, I was there when Pablo hit three home runs in the World Series, which is uh, which is obviously an incredible feat. By the way, uh, Jock Peterson becomes the second Giant to hit three home runs at Oracle Park in a ballgame. The first Giant to do it in the regular season as Pablo did it in the World Series, two off of Verlander and two off of, uh, excuse me, just one off of Antonio Alfonseca. They also, don't forget, going way back to 2000, the Dodgers came into town and Kevin Elster did it against the Giants. So early on in the ballpark, We thought this thing was going to be a band box. Did not turn out to be that way. Uh, Not quite as big of a band box as we assumed on opening day 2000. But Jack Peterson joins an elite group. We should also make note, he becomes just the second player in Major League history to have both a splash hit as a visiting player. He did so with the Dodgers and to do it as a member of the San Francisco Giants. The only other player to do that, Ryan Klesko, the former Atlanta Brave and San Diego Padres. So Jock Peterson in elite company as he helps the Giants win this one, and Gabe Kapler called it the best individual performance he thinks he's ever seen on a baseball field. Uh, fantastic stuff. A lot of fun as the Giants will hit the East Coast this week. And don't forget, as the schedule flips to June or the calendar flips to June, the Giants get a little bit lighter of a schedule. They fared really well to this point in the season against teams above 500. not so hot against the more elite teams in the league. So you want to uh, to pad that win total when you go into Cincinnati, when you head out to Miami, all those teams uh, on the East Coast and those struggling in the NL East. you got to beat up on them a little bit and then come on home and take care of business against the L.A. Dodgers and the Padres and all all the teams in the NL West uh, that are going to be a problem for the Giants as the season carries on. All right, good time to transition into our conversation with Harvey Martin. He's a human performance specialist and also acts as the San Francisco Giants' breath or breathing coach. What does that mean? You're going to hear about it in this great conversation with Harvey, who's a former minor league pitcher himself, and, and maybe a little bit of advice that you at home can take to, uh, to your daily lives about how to breathe better, because what Harvey's going to tell you is that breathing is is not everyone's strong suit. What can you do to improve that? And what is he doing with the Giants? Here it is, our conversation with Harvey Martin. It's a pleasure to welcome to the podcast Harvey Martin. He's a human performance specialist, and, and maybe a less technical term, Harvey, would be Giants breathing coach, Giants breath coach. What should we call you, man?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, uh, I'll take it I'll take it all, I suppose. Breathing coach, I do mental skills, human performance. But breathing, I'm, I'm assuming will be the the topic of discussion here so we'll stick with breathing coach for uh for the listeners. <laughs>
1: all right you gotta you have a unique job man but uh let, let giants fans get to know you a little bit tell us about your background you were a professional baseball player you pitched in the minors uh tell us your path to get here and, uh, and a little bit about yourself who were your guys as a kid tell us something about you
2: yeah, man. Uh, wow, there's a lot there. Uh, let's start with uh, how I grew up, I suppose. So I'm from originally from Farmington, Michigan. Okay. Um, grew up in Michigan, family moved around a little bit, lived in Ohio a little bit as a kid, ended up coming back to Michigan, and then I landed at Central Michigan, uh, where I played college baseball. Um, I always had an envision of playing professionally, playing in the major leagues. Obviously, I, I had a chance to do that. I went from central Michigan to Minnesota state um, where it's probably where I'll get more into because that's where I kind of learned a lot of what I do now for a living. Uh, I signed out of Minnesota state with the Milwaukee Brewers. I played there for parts of three seasons. So thir- 2013 to 2015. Um, when I got released uh, I became kind of a part-time scout. I did some amateur and professional scouting for the brewers for maybe f- yeah, five more years, I suppose. Um, and then I landed with the Giants uh, really, really part-time last year, kind of evolving and learning, developing the current role that I'm in. And then this year uh, here, a lot more, um, doing a lot more uh, stuff with the Giants and, and the breath world, the human performance world, mental skills world. But um, yeah, as far for how I grew up and I don't, my guys, you know, it's interesting. I've never told them this, but uh, Cap was actually, which I'm sure him and I will laugh about this later on, but Cap was actually my favorite player when I was a kid <laughs> uh, when he was with the Detroit Tigers. And I was growing up in the suburbs of Detroit. I thought Cap was just a super tough, hard-nosed player and loved – and I think the city of Detroit loved him back in the day. But, yeah, he'd be one of my first guys that um, I really liked watching play.
1: You had, you had some tough teams then because uh, you and I are pretty close in age. So you had your uh, your Jeremy Bondermans and your your Mike Maraths and Brandon Inge, all those guys Brandon were your dudes, huh?
2: Yeah, what a drop. Brandon
1: Inge was a step. <laughs> I love Brandon Inge. <laughs> yeah, he was good, man. He, played like, he was like a second baseman, third baseman. Might jump behind the plate a little bit. He was hard-nosed, too. I liked Brandon Inge uh, mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Yeah, so, so you're in a, a unique position, man, on the coaching staff. Uh, tell me about uh, how you got to this role. What, what made you become a human performance specialist? What were your goals in doing so? And, and were you always trying to translate your job and what you were learning towards the game of baseball?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think like, when so when I got released, uh, I had, I, I got released in, I, when I was in school, the reason I said Minnesota State, I think is going to be relevant for this, was mm-hmm. that um, when I went to Mankato, I went to grad school, and it's not, if it wasn't out of me wanting to go to grad school, I just was in college for six years, so when I think when you go to college, I had elbow surgery, I redshirted as a freshman, didn't really make our traveling squad. Um, and then I had an injury, so I ended up playing college baseball for six seasons and anyone who plays collegiately for six years, like something went wrong, obviously. So, uh, you know, so I landed in Mankato playing division two baseball, trying to get drafted. And, um, because of that, I would, I entered their, uh, their master's degree programs. And the first class that I took, um, was a sports psychology class. And it was super fascinating to me. And it was all about how your mind worked, how psychology worked, how it all related to in-sport and how to develop peak performance through your mind. Um, I was taking the classes because it was like, I didn't know I was going to get a master's degree. Like I said, I just had to be in the classes. And I thought, if I'm going to be a professional athlete, I should take classes that align me to be uh, mentally stronger. Um, but the thing was, it was like one of the first classes in school that I like, legitimately wanted to go to. And so I was like, wow, this is really fascinating. It, it really piqued my interest. So when I got to professional baseball, um, I just made friends with our sport psych uh, department people. And I, and I got to ask them questions. And I really, uh, I knew that about year two of professional baseball, I knew I probably wasn't going to play in the big leagues. Uh, so in that time, it was kind of like, what can I use of sport to learn about things that make me curious about peak performance? How can I use this for the future? Um, I didn't know I'd be talking to you like years later in this moment, but I like I had definitely an idea that this is what I wanted to do. Um, fast forward to 2015 when I got released. Ironically, I got released. I wasn't able. I was hurt. Uh, I wasn't able to throw strikes anymore, um, and I got released basically because of my command and essentially. Uh, my my mind, like I started having, I started getting anxious, and I had performance anxiety, and it was like the weirdest thing because I got signed because I threw strikes, and I thought that my great gift to being an athlete was my mind, and I essentially <laughs> got released because I couldn't throw strikes, and I of my mind. And it was like the biggest uh, flip of world. So uh, it just led me into a very like curious thing of myself, which is what I've been telling a lot about recently as I now have this job and I I get asked these questions. Um, In 2015, I studied breathing, meditation, uh, psychology, stuff that I learned in school, stuff that I was experiencing in the moment and in real time. And I was really doing it in those moments for purely myself. Uh, and that, that process of learning about the body and human behavior and what performance really is and how to minimize performance anxiety and how to basically be at your best or expand flow, that was like a three, four-year process of self-discovery. Um, and in that, I just kind of focused on me. I come out of that three, four years later and organically was asked by some professional athletes to start training them. Uh, primarily in the NHL. And that was what sparked and birthed my company, the MindStrong Project, um, which then I turned it into a career, obviously. Fast forward three, four years from that, I now do this for the San Francisco Giants.
1: Well, you, I mean, this is it's a, one, it's a great, a great history on you, a great background on you, but uh, also a congratulations to you for having that kind of vision, following through and, and finding a passion and something that you were good at and, uh, and making a career out of it. I think that's, that's kind of a dream, right? For people, you come out of college and you go through all these classes, you have all these majors, you don't know exactly what you want to do, but you've taken that skill set, honed it and made it something unique and important in professional sports. I want to get into that and I'll come back to the NHL thing in just a minute. But when you were approached about this position last year by the Giants, uh, mm-hmm. what was the organization organizational philosophy or the coaching staff's goal with getting this program uh, integrated into San Francisco baseball.
2: Um, I think like when you look at our philosophy as a whole, like we're very open-minded uh, the, the entire staff is extremely curious. Um, I think the reason why it works so well is that we feed off of that open-mindedness. I think a lot of all, all of us kind of think similar in that sense. Uh, we kind of come out of it from outside the box and kind of intuitively, came at it in an individual path but then found a way to mold it as a unit which is Mm -hmm. i don't know uh, to me that's like extremely grateful to just be a part of that um and i think the way that they approached me was we wanted to turn a lot of our mental skills training and a lot of our uh, human performance platforms we wanted to be able to touch all avenues so i kind of come at it from a physiological view kind of these tangible things of breathing heat-cold methodologies, ways that you can kind of objectify and train your physiology, your nervous system to get stronger so that you can perform and be sustainable. But then we also have people like Shayna, you know, and she's doing a lot with our psychological work. And we also have people like Drew Robinson who are doing a lot of stuff with our psychological work. And then we also have our strength staff and our sport for science staff. And so we, I think, from my opinion, uh, we do an amazing job of molding kind of like all the parts of human performance. We kind of come at it from all the areas and we talk about it as a unit from all areas. And we just try to evolve it as like everything is everything. It's not like one is better than the other. It's more of uh, how can you come in as an individual, add value from your own side of the, the coin or expertise, if you will, um, and then listen and learn from others. And you kind of evolve it up as a group.
1: To me, like when they make the 30 for 30 on this era of of Giants baseball, that everything you just said has got to be something that's that's sort of the underlying tone or thread throughout the entire thing, because it's something Gabe Kapler has made a point to talk about that you want to get as many minds and as many people who think differently than you, which is completely different than the way baseball used to be run or or any professional sport. A lot of times guys who were former pro athletes, you get your buddies, you get guys who are are, uh, familiar with you and familiar with the way you do things. And the focus on that sort of diversity paired with the mental health aspect that you just talked about i think it's had a pretty good impact are there tangible positive impacts you can see with this type of philosophy in the organization on player performance
2: uh yeah for sure i mean a lot of that stuff keeping in house right obviously of course something that that we would do on that side but i think like the tangibleness that we're seeing um is just the processes and systems developed in simple holistic things i think that The thing that you touched on about CAP that I would have to elevate and and just kind of magnify is the fact that CAP did and does an amazing job of creating diversity, which as an individual is like, it's an insane experience to go through. So I can kind of speak to that because it forces you to expand your thinking. Uh, And that is where I think like all of us are kind of in it. So coaches and players, we're in this, we're in this like constant development of thought, physically, mentally, and emotionally. Um, And then again, I think when it's supported by people like CAP or supported by the front office and our leadership groups, um, it gives you like the freedom and confidence to sort of like just amplify that. So, I mean, I just wanted to touch on that because I've been super thankful to experience a group of diverse individuals and how much like, that really does evolve your, your game, like your craft. Uh, and I think that that's, I talk a lot about that back home. So hearing you say that, I just have to kind of take that another level and say, it's a really cool experience. But um, the tangibleness, like from my side that you see is you can see a lot through like breathing. Uh, I especially will get into just breathing specifically. Like a lot of what I do is I look at breath from three pillars, basically your mechanics, uh, how you manage energy and then psychologically. So how you control your state of mind? Um, If we can look at like how you breathe mechanically, we can definitely like measure and track uh, how your diaphragm moves, how your rib cage moves, like how you actually breathe, are you good or bad at it? uh, Majority of people, I would say more than most people are really bad at it. Uh, So it's trying to create that first, like how do you get the actual muscles of respiration to move accurately uh, and then be sustainable? So that's definitely tracked. It's definitely tangible. We definitely see it. We see improvements and we just got to keep building on that. Like any other muscle Um, energy management, similar to the same thing, basically tracking like consistency of heart rates, uh, consistency of breath holds, basically things that you can see um, on how people manage their oxygen levels or carbon dioxide levels. All that stuff is related to how your actual energy is not like I'm happy energy, like a, I can actually, have fuel, I can move and I can sustain this speed for a long time. Um, Psychological is, obviously you can do that a lot through like neurofeedback and things that you can actually track of the brain and states like that. But I, I, in my own opinion, psychological tangibleness is really like subjective. It's kind of hard to track how people think um, and how that's happening in real time. So I think the first two, the mechanics and the energy, is more objective, more tangible. Uh, And then with the mind, that's where you'll see some of the subjectivity where you're just sort of trying to ask players questions and, and see where they're at mentally.
1: So uh, let, let me frizz it then a different way. How about like performance benefits from this? Cause you talk about uh, like learning to breathe. If, if a pitcher's on the mound and he's in a high stress situation, is this something he can tap into? Is this something that helps him calm himself to lower his heart rate? Things you're talking about, maintain energy? Because obviously there are different jobs on a yeah. baseball staff. And, and so we'll get into, into more detail about the program and, and the three pillars that you're going through. But for individuals, are, are there different things that they can tap into and apply to their day to day performance on the field?
2: Yeah, for sure. Okay, I see where you're going with that. Um, that that, that teased me up a little bit better in terms of real time uh, tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you're pitching, like the whole objective is how do you use a controllable under real time pressure? Like how do as a performer, how do you make a decision under pressure? Whether that's mental or physical, it doesn't really matter in in, in the game, right? Um, a, a pitcher, for example, has to agree to the call or the sign that they're getting, and then they have to execute it. So there's like a lot going on within 15 seconds, right? Um, What we're trying to do is like, can they feel when their mind either gets away from them? Can they feel when the mind gets away from them from the feeling of their body being the breath? So if they can tell that their breath either sped up or it got mechanically unsound or uh, their body gets tight or frozen, any of these things that they can feel that physically, Now, all of a sudden they've trained the tool, which we do a ton of, right? We do all these stressors and then we train them how to breathe in it so that when that 15 seconds happens in game, they know the feeling so much that they can get off the, I'm just using a picture example, they can get off the rubber and use a specific breathing. This will all be different based on the individual. And it usually always is based on the individual, but typically they have trained their specific protocol outside of that event, so that when it happens inside of the event, they do have a very specific breath that they will use to center themselves, control themselves, free themselves, and then they can rationally think through what's about to happen and make the appropriate decision.
1: So it sounds to me in simpler terms, like the breath in that situation is used sort of as the, uh, the meter or the alarm. If you notice something's off by your breath, that's when you can register because you've trained yourself to try to hone in on, on what you need to do to fix it in that moment.
2: Exactly. That's exactly
1: what you're after. That's uh, that's fascinating stuff, man. That's, that's, <laughs> it's, I mean, because it, it's something that I don't think I, I imagine that with the players you work with, many of these guys haven't experienced that before or have not trained themselves to do that. Or if they have, it's something that they're trying to grow and, and sort of hone in on or sharpen a little bit for when they're in that position.
2: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like like I said, my title as a breath coach. When someone's with me, they're, they they kind of know what we're doing there, right? right, like right we're right. training the breathing. I think the I think you're right on that. Like, I don't. I think, from my perspective, it doesn't seem like it's that out of the box because I'm doing it all the time. Like people are coming to me to train breathing, so I don't see the oddness of it. But I know that outside of like me it probably looks a little different and unique. Um, But yeah, it's just like any other skill. Like when a guy comes to me, it'd be like if they're going to run sprints or lift or work out in the weight room, uh, they're going to strengthen their body or their aerobic capacity. When they're with me, they're coming to strengthen their breathing. And so I'm always trying to trigger finding, learning the individual and I'm trying to create stressful situations um, that teach them their own feeling to the breath so they can create their own tools and confidence and skill set and use it in game. Like we just talked about.
1: So let me ask you this. How, how do you cre- uh, sort of create that, that control, that sort of moment of stress? Because it, until you're in that moment, it's, it's just sort of you've perceived it or you've imagined it, or, or maybe there's a structure you have. How do you set up a situation in a guy's mind to sort of get him into that feeling where he knows what the alarm is going to feel like and know that his breathing is off?
2: Yeah. I mean, have you ever jumped in like an ice tub or anything?
1: Not in years, but yeah, I used to, when I was an athlete, yeah, I used to do it.
2: Yeah, so do you remember like the immediacy of what happened to your breath when you did that?
1: It gets real shallow and you're sort of in shock a little bit. You're, you get all tense, your shoulders go up to your ears. 100%. So yeah.
2: that's a great tool, right? It's one of the main ones that we use is the cold. And the reason why is because of what you just said. So when you throw a guy in the cold um, they instantly start to upper chest breathe. They typically mouth breathe, hyperventilate. (sighs)
1: Yeah.
2: Right. And so what, what, what temperature does is temperature is like an amazing tool to trigger real time stress. Your nervous system reacts to cold, uh, really quickly because in your brain it's survival. It's trying to Save itself. And that cold equals it's not safe here. And so, what you're trying to do is um, it, obviously, if I want to see an instant result, you'd throw a guy in a 38 degree cold tub that's never been in it and they'll really hyperventilate. Uh, but in reality, like with these guys, you know, you want to, with everybody, you should try to adapt them. So, I mean, essentially, this could be like here's the tools, uh, any upper chest breathing or mouth breathing signals to your mind that this is not a safe situation. So if a guy's in game and he starts, (sighs) it's going to, it's going to go haywire. This the game's going to start to get away from him. Now we try to translate that and we teach them the principles first. All right. Hey, breathe mechanically uh, horizontal instead of vertical, right? If you're up here in your your chest, your shoulders, that's an unmechanically poor breath, right? So how can I, Open up and expand the rib cage? How can I get the diaphragm to flatten and be able to breathe 360 degrees, right? Uh, Essentially, kind of below your nipples. That'd be principle one. So hold on to that principle, right? Two would be like your mouth signals to your mind, breathing through your mouth, that this is really stressful. Your nose signals to your mind, this is okay. I can handle this. So that'd be principle two, right? So now all of a sudden, if you've never been in the cold, let's start with a cold shower throw you in the cold shower, it's going to trigger a response. In that response, execute two principles, breathe horizontal, right? Instead of into your upper chest vertically and breathe through your nose and keep the system calm. And so we'll stress that until we can essentially take them from a cold shower to, and now I'm making this up, but we'll say a 50 degree cold tub and then we'll get them into a full body, teach them the same thing until we can get them to a 40 and then you just decrease the temperature or increase the time and you're training them just like anything else. Right. And so now when a guy gets into that cold tub, we'll say six weeks later, he's able to a breathe mechanically sound. He's able to utilize the diaphragm and the breathing muscles, but then B he's able to psychologically tell himself that this environment is safe by the way in which he's breathing the nose versus the mouth. And so that has insane performance benefits
1: it's incredible what your body knows, right? Like what, what, uh, what sensors go to your brain and and what your body feels based on how it is that you're breathing. This is great insight, man. You mentioned earlier that the, The NHL or you had individual NHL players kind of coming to you. And that was the sport that you mentioned is sort of the most prevalent early on. How different in that sport relative to baseball, because baseball is such a it's drawn out drama, right? The tension builds as you go. So you might as a pitcher even have that time to be able to to notice that alarm going off, to to recognize that you're not breathing in the way that you should. In other sports, I'd imagine that's a little bit different. Your your processing time is going to be off.
2: Yeah. So hockey a hockey. You're hundred percent right. Uh, baseball is, I always think like baseball is the, the slowest game to watch, but the fastest game to play. Right. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're in, you're thinking all the time, right. There's actually a really fascinating study about chess players burned up towards 6,000 calories a match uh, just because their respiratory rate tripled, which made their heart rate, you know, elevate and they were just sitting there thinking, and so they're burning. I think the study was they burn more calories than like uh, professional tennis players. And it's, <laughs> and it's crazy how much the mind burns energy as much as the body. Right. So like baseball kind of has both. They have they burn fuel through their mind. And they also burn fuel through their physicalness and running and throwing and all that stuff. So you kind of got to map that out with hockey. Hockey's different because it's so aerobic. It's so constant. It's, it's in out in out, but the easiness part about it, and it's not, I, I shouldn't say it's easy, but you know, they have 40, 45 second shifts. And if they're really talented, they're out there 20 times. Right. So uh, if you look at it in a training sense, I think they have like around two to three minute rest periods if, if they're kind of getting on ice off ice. So if you're doing training with hockey in a very, very simple way, really all you do is you try to get them to uh, to sustain nasal breathing as long as possible or mechanically sound breathing as long as possible at 45 second intervals. And then you rest them, you know, and then the off season you just find as many ways to challenge them as possible. Right. So that could be, they hate this, but love it. Right. But it's like, you could do a, like a row machine or airdyne bike and you could, blast them at 45 seconds and then throw them in a cold tub, like right after that and watch how they uh, downshift and you simulate that cold tub as a, as a shift. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. like the cold tub is really stressful, uh, but the shift on the ice it's, or when they're sitting on the bench, it's not. So it's like, can you sustain 45 minutes of consistent or 45 seconds of natural breathing, good mechanical sound breathing, and then throw you in an ice tub and you create more stress, but like you keep the pace of breathing, uh, typically things like that and systems like that. If you can increase their endurance, um, or their VO two or any sort of aerobic capacity, by the way, in which they breathe in, in conditioning, I, like I said, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's like, it's way more. Like, this is what it is, you know?
1: <laughs> right. There's a clock to it. It's regimented. You can sort of map it out in that way. So, so it's safe to say, while the goal for the program uh, at the end is, is sort of the same, for individual athletes or for, and obviously everybody's different, every person is different, but if you're honing in on individual sports, there's a different kind of program or system you'll go through with different guys.
2: Yeah. I mean, look, like breathing is involved in, in everything. Like if you can't, one of my early mentors used to always say to me, Harvey, like, you can't breathe in a position you don't own the position so simple things like if you want to talk to a power lifter if a power lifter can't breathe in a deadlift or a squat or a bench like they don't own the bench or the squat or the deadlift so that could be pure mechanical bracing using the diaphragm to protect your spine your back your core and create enough pressure to elevate your force and elevate your weight on a, on a squat, for example, that could be, and we could just talk about that with power lifters. Um, we could get into a marathon runner and talk about how you use energy based off of how much you breathe through your mouth compared to your nose. Right? Like I, you always tell people look at like a sprinter and a marathon runner, look at those two bodies. And if you ever just people who are listening to this go on Google, and look at how a sprinter who runs a 100 yard sprint, look how they're breathing, and look how a marathoner is breathing. Like a marathoner can breathe through their nose uh, and maintain aerobic endurance for 20, 25 miles, where a sprinter is mouth breathing anaerobic as fast as they possibly can, as much energy output for 10 seconds. And the bodies look different and the breathing looks different, but they're both mm-hmm. two entirely different things, right? So that could just be sprinting and running. And you can go to hockey, like we just talked about. You can go to chess, you know, chess players you try to lower the respiratory rate. Uh, baseball, you try to lower the respiratory rate. Football is on, off, on, off. You know, now you can get into body sizes. Uh, football players with big necks, they tend to mouth breathe more. They have more issues in that sense. Like it, it, there's all kinds of breathing is in every single thing that a human does. So you just kind of meet the person where they're at. And you teach the same principles of breath, you connect it to the language of their sport or their event. um, And then you just, you know, go from there
1: you blew me away with that, uh, with that chess note about chess player. I mean, it makes sense, but then burning like 10,000 calories during a, a chess match. I know like Michael Phelps used to eat like 10,000 calories before he'd hop in the pool for his yeah. Olympic workouts. I didn't see her crushing that many calories in Queens gambit. You know, she wasn't, <laughs> uh, she, she wouldn't, she wouldn't hammering omelets before she, she sat down at the end uh, of the chess it. sport. Imagine what she could have done. She had you as a breath coach. Uh, I'm just curious and you don't have to get into specifics of the program itself or if it's like Dr. Patient, confidentiality stuff but are there players with the Giants you work more closely with are there guys who are really into it
2: yeah there's a lot of guys I I try to protect uh that's that sense obviously um on the individual names and I know a lot of guys like talk about it openly and stuff and I've always just been on the side of if any player ever wants to talk about what we do specifically have at it right uh but yeah there's definitely guys that you work more and less with. It's interesting how it works because, um, it just, you just kind of, in my role, you just sort of help when needed, I guess, you Mm -hmm. know, like, like they're professional athletes. I said this to a couple people the other day, they're the best athletes on the planet. You know, like (laughs) you, you really like, you try to just give them a little edge and not everybody needs a full program. So like largely in my role, it's like, uh, again, you. I say this to the guys all the time, principles are few, methods are many, right? So the principles are you breathe through your nose. The nose is the primary. It, it, it's meant for breathing. Your mouth is meant for talking, eating, and really high intense training. So you're not in those. You should be breathing through your nose. Now that can be a very you know, foundational principle, but how people get there is going to be different, right? People are different bodies, different conditioning levels, all those sort of things. And and we can train that, but that's a principle. I think the principle of the mechanics, uh, helps everybody, right. To be able to, uh, breathe and really open up your rib cage instead of this vertical breath that kind of helps everybody. Right. And so these principles I say are few, but the way in which you meet people, some people already really breathe mechanically sound. Like I said, they're professional athletes, I'm not the only like breathing person out there. There's a lot of people who teach breath work. So a lot of them have done breath work in the past, or they've um, found ways to uh, involve it into their training. So if a guy doesn't need a mechanical help or mechanical cueing, then I'll maybe I'll help him on the psychological side and we'll just meditate and we'll just sit there and relax, you know, sort of things. Um, So it just, it really matters. And then ages, like there's some guys who need things for their, where they're at in their career compared to other people. Um, it's so different across, as I'm thinking through it in my head, every guy is actually really different. Uh, <laughs> and I think the best thing that I can do for them is really start out by like learning them, learning their background and then meeting them in season with what tool can they use in real time that becomes actionable and helps them have a little bit of an edge to their already, you know, mastery of who they already are.
1: It's just one more element, man. The, the yeah. focus on mental health and on uh, on knowing your body, uh, I think is, is obviously going to pay dividends, but we're seeing it across sports now too. It's become yeah. a, a much bigger focal point. I think across, across all sports, you mentioned tennis and uh, yeah. you go to uh, to football and baseball and all that. Uh, before we let you go, any tips uh, for people listening at home just on on ways to uh, strategies for healthy breathing, improve breathing techniques, things that you would tell a person who's maybe not a pro athlete? Yeah,
2: that's a great question. And one that I'm really honored to answer. Uh, I think that you know, the thing about breathing in a general, so we get away from athletes, the thing about our breathing is that because of modern, modern society, we're, we're so overstimulated as like a, a human organism now, um, just from anything that you can imagine, right? Like technology, social medias, uh, we're sitting, we're sedentary, like we're, we're indoors all the time. Um, as just a population, we've kind of created this, this like poor breathing pattern, which is, uh which is, you know, kind of sucks, right? So it's like, um, without really thinking about it, the the thing I always tell people is that your breath lives in this unconscious environment, essentially being with your heart rate, your digestion, your blood flow. It's automatic. You don't have to think about it, right? Which we don't want to have to think about breathing because we want to think about other things. But the unique thing is that you can take the breath out of the unconscious environment. You can make it conscious. Everyone who's listening right now can start just following their breath there and they can just follow it in and out and the second you do that you kind of take your mind so i'll start from a mind spot you take your mind away from like past uh whatever regrets worries all these things are like futures anxieties all the things that the brain is always trying to do it's always living in this past and future the breath kind of brings it back right Um, And it's controllable. That's like the coolest part about it is that you can make it conscious. You can consciously sit there and bring your brain into the moment. So I think that that's really important. And the simplicity of that is just spending, I always say, just spend five minutes a day in the morning before you get into any activity and just follow your breath in and out through your nose, right? And just breathing it out through your nose. And you'll start to see headspace grow throughout the course of the day so that you're less reactive to all these modern stimulations that we've we've created right um the second thing and kind of the last thing is uh what do you do throughout the day or at night or uh situations when you're in these these scenarios of where you maybe find yourself reactive or stressed out uh the first thing is you know to connect with your breath the second thing is is to breathe through your nose um i always tell people uh your nose is it relays to your nervous system and your mind that everything is okay. So if you just consciously breathe through your nose and just slow it all down, which also the nose is a smaller hole than your mouth, so you naturally will have a lower breathing rate. By doing that, you will start to slow and calm yourself. Um, If you need to really de-stress or calm down in the moment past that, all you really have to do, there's two breaths that I would suggest Uh, You just take a deep inhale through the nose for about three, four seconds. You pause, you can exhale through the mouth for about uh, six to seven seconds, kind of however you feel that. You do that three or four times, you'll start to feel your body shift. My favorite one, one that I suggest all the time is a double inhale through the nose. And then you exhale through the mouth and you double the length of that exhalation. You just have to do that one to three times and you'll notice a shift Uh, And how you feel. And that's actually that's called the physiological size. So it's either, you know, you inhale for four seconds, exhale for seven, or you double inhale through the nose, you exhale through the mouth. And uh, those are two really, really cool uh, breathing practices. Anyone can use them. um, And they, you know, they'll help calm you down in real time.
1: RV, it's great stuff, man. It's uh, it's fascinating to hear the, the connection between not just your career as a baseball player into into finding love and passion for this, but how players and, and athletes are latching onto this and, and finding performance benefits from it. Because I think, as we mentioned before, the mental element of sports is, is probably next to physical. The number one thing you've got to have. So uh, great work that you're doing with the Giants and, and across sports. And don't be afraid to tell Gabe Kapler that, uh, that you like watching him out of Comerica Park when you were a kid, man. You got to You got to get on that. That'd be a great story.
2: I've had my opportunities. I've just failed numerous <laughs> times. So maybe yeah, we'll take it way he finds
1: yeah. out. <laughs> take a couple of breaths and uh, and get catch your breath a little bit and then, and then go out and uh, and let him know. But uh, Harvey great stuff, man. Thanks so much for the time today. Thank you.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. Take
1: care. Boy, what a great conversation with Harvey Martin. It's become extremely prevalent within the Giants organization and uh, we're hearing more about it across sports, but I'm I'm proud to be a Giants fan. Uh, in particular, especially in this era of Giants baseball, because not just the diversity that Gabe Kapler has preached uh, among his coaching staff with, uh, you know, additions like Kai Correa or Antoine Richardson or uh, Alyssa Nakin, of course, Across the board, they've got a diverse coaching staff. But when you hear Harvey talk about the focus they have on mental health, and of course, Drew Robinson still very close uh, to the organization and uh, and gives talks and talks to players and was around for the end of the stigma, uh, not be afraid to talk about mental health days that the Giants have had uh, at Oracle Park. The players all wearing the shirts. That stuff's all fantastic. But when you put it to work with the players themselves, with things like this, things that help expand their mind, that give them what they need to be the most successful, they are not just within the game, but you can take that stuff out into your daily lives uh, it's just incredible that the Giants uh, are about building people and about building good people in addition to trying to build a champion and that's something that I think is extremely unique uh, within the professional sports world so fantastic stuff from Harvey Martin uh, it's been a fun week at Giants baseball another five game losing streak but I don't think anybody will ever forget the 13 to 12 win on Tuesday night against the New York Mets one of the all time great Giants games until next week I'm Adam Copeland you've been listening to the Inside Giant Moments podcast we'll talk to you next week Swing and a drive! Home run for
0: Brandon Crumper. This.
1: What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo
0: Doval gets the save. Is. Yastrzewski! Gone! And late night Lamont strikes, strikes again. again. He belt was all over it. The captain. Inside Giant Moments. It's headed for the bay! The third of the night for Jock Peterson. With Adam Copeland. Both well, strikeouts and they're on their feet here at Oracle Park for Carlos Rodon.